a series right now called All In. And when we see people jumping all in, when we see people, uh, men, women, young, old, giving all to follow Christ, it's amazing. It's like it just unlocks the safe and the, 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 the treasure of God gets put on display. It's amazing. We're going to continue our series. And if you're a student here this morning, uh, I'm so thankful that you're here. If, you, if you're a guest, uh, you, you heard it already that you can stop by the guest reception at the end of service. But I'm going to ask a couple questions to get us going, and then I'm going to pray. And I want you to rewind the clock to when you were a kid. What did you love to collect when you were a kid? What was your treasure? What, were you, what was just so valuable to you that as a child, I mean, nobody better mess with this particular thing. Now, I had my, I mean, I've heard stories of my mom. She had a, she had a, a doll and her sister, you know, she tore an arm off or something like that. And my mom, who's as quiet as a mouse, lost her junk on her older sister and just, just lost her mind. What, what, what is your treasure? right? For me, growing up in St. Louis in the 80s, there was nothing that young boys treasured more, right? Obviously, you had your Transformer, your G.I. Joe, but your baseball card collection, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, it was, it was treasure. And so, I remember so vividly some of my fondest memories. I had my bike and my bike, I could, you know, it, it was a different time. So you could travel, you could, you could ride your bike just about anywhere, and you weren't worried about people kidnapping you or weird, crazy stuff like we do now. But I would ride my bike miles with my friends to the nearest store. There's a store called Ben Franklin. And you would, I mean, you would be scouring the ground for loose change. You'd, you'd, you'd go to your dad's dresser. You'd grab the dimes and the nickels or the quarters because they sold penny candy at Ben Franklin. Come on, penny candy. <laughs> Dilly, dilly. <laughs> but the other thing that you would do if you could just get a buck or two is you would get the latest Tops, Upper Deck, or Don Russ baseball cards. You'd get a pack, maybe two, and whatever extra change you had left over, you'd spend those on now and laters. You'd, send those, you'd spend them on some Jolly Ranchers. Oh, you know, maybe a little Laffy Taffy. You'd stuff your pockets, you'd get on your bike, and you'd pedal on home. If you've seen Stranger Things, that was my life as a kid, okay? You'd get home, and uh, you'd, you'd open your, your pack of baseball cards. You'd already had a now and later in your mouth, and you were hoping for your favorite players. You're hoping for the things that, that were the treasure. And then all the kids are in the cul-de-sac. They'd bring all their baseball cards over, and the wheeling and dealing would begin. I will trade you two Ken Griffey's for a Jose Canseco. I will trade you this and that. Some of you don't even know baseball. I don't care. <laughs> it was an amazing time. It was a legendary time. And I brought with me today some of my most treasured possessions from when I was a kid. Because every once in a while, you'd get a card or you'd make a trade. Or some kid would bring one of his dad's baseball cards, and he wouldn't know that it was valuable. But I would know. And I'd make a play, and I'd get my card. And so I'm holding right here. I'm going to throw out some names for you, and most of you, you won't even know who these players are. But I am holding right here one of my greatest possessions, and that is a Stan Musial. 
baseball card right there. Oh, I see a couple claps. They know this is a St. Louis Cardinal right here. I've got in my hands a Bob Gibson baseball card. That's right. You, you can look at these because I have them encased in plastic. You could throw this around the room and it wouldn't damage this card. Bob Gibson, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Some of you might have heard of the great Hank Aaron. That's right. Excited over here in the front. Hank Aaron and then the Jewel of the Nile. It's right here. And that is a Jackie Robinson card right there. Number 42. Now, you might be thinking, Andy is holding in his hands like $50,000 worth of baseball cards. And I might be worried that I'm going to get mugged after church. But I'll go ahead and tell you now, they're not as valuable as you might think. Not these particular cards, anyway. <laughs> womp womp. But what's interesting about valuation, my major in college was investments, and so all of your projects were on evaluating stocks and trying to determine what was going to be the most valuable. And you got to invest real money. And even as a child, you're, 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 in some ways, you're, you're trying to decide which card is your favorite or which card is going to be worth the most. And so you put it in these hard plastic. You got four screws on it because you want to protect it. You want to make sure it does not get damaged. But here's the challenge, and it's the same challenge that many of us make, is that if I had saved my Star Wars toys, instead of these, I would be sitting, I would have tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Yet I spent all my time and energy on my baseball card collection. And most of those cards are worth maybe 10 cents each. I drug the whole thing out just to get ready for this message. I want you to know that and began to relive my childhood this past week. A lot of times we put value on things that end up not being very valuable. A lot of times we treasure things that, in the end, isn't really a very worthy treasure. And so we're going we're gonna to begin in a passage here in the book of Matthew where Jesus is talking to hundreds and hundreds of people about what it looks like to treasure that which is most valuable. And I'm going to go out on a limb if you're like me as it pertains to God and things of faith. And that's that you have a, there's something inside of you. You wouldn't be here today if there wasn't something inside of you that valued a relationship with God. Or maybe you're here today, right? You don't have a relationship with God, but you know that something is missing. And so you're at least here to check things out. And you're, you're kind of trying to make some decisions because you're making value-based decisions. And this morning, what I'm going to talk to you about, I'm not going to somehow convince you that Jesus is worth valuing. I'm going to talk to you from the other side of the fence this morning. Because I believe that it is the greatest challenge in front of us right now, the local church here in the United States, is that we know Jesus is worth valuing. We know he is to be the greatest treasure. But oftentimes, our heart, we live like a roller coaster as it pertains to our faith. And we just can't seem to get a steady, vibrant, life-changing, consistent relationship with God. We're up, we're down, we're free, we're in chains. We're locked up, 
We're worshiping. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is how to cultivate a life that consistently treasures Jesus above everything else. You guys ready for that? Father, be with us this morning. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would draw us into greater relationship this morning. God, I ask for eyes to be open, for ears to be open, for hearts to be opened. We're asking for chains to fall off of people this morning. God, spiritual chains, the things that keep us in bondage, that keep us just stuck. God, help us to get free today and to really live a life where you are preeminent above everything else. Amen. Turn to Matthew 13. If you have a Bible with you or if you're on your phone. Matthew chapter 13. As you're turning there, I'm going to read a, a quote from Aristotle to you. And no, Aristotle is not in the Bible in case you begin looking for that. But he says something that's very wise. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but it's a habit. I want you to hear this because you do, you act out. At what your, your actions are a reflection of what you value. And so when we talk about value and we talk about growing in a relationship with God... What we're talking about is you and I cultivating the kind of life that consistently, habitually acts and values where those things are consistent. We want to create the kind of habits in our life where we treasure Jesus above every single thing in our life. And so Jesus says this to a giant crowd. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Now, if you walk away from here today, and you are already thinking about getting Chipotle, or you're thinking about the grocery list, or the, the week ahead, and your mind begins to check out, and I maybe I just get super boring as I'm preaching today. I'm going to do my best not to do that for you. But if you walk away with anything today, it's this. It's that the greatest decision you will ever make is giving everything you have in exchange for the treasure of Jesus. If you walk out of here and hear nothing else, if you catch nothing else, it's that the greatest decision you will ever make is giving everything you have in exchange for the treasure of knowing Jesus. There's nothing like him. Jesus is preaching to this crowd, and it's interesting because he's, 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 been, uh, he's been speaking and speaking and healing and teaching, and the crowds just keep getting larger, and they keep getting larger. And so here he is. Uh, he's been in a house teaching. And there's people literally outside the home, and they're clambering to, you know, to look inside. And so Jesus leaves the home, and he's going to do what, what anybody who's been preaching and teaching for a long time uh, is going to do. And he walks down to the lake, and he sits down by the lake, probably because, because he wants to catch his breath. Yet the crowds follow him. 
And in fact, the crowds are so big that they've got to track down a boat. And Jesus has to get into the boat and push off from shore. If you've ever been to a concert that's like maximum capacity and, you know, the, the, the little guardrails are like bending and, you know, it almost feels dangerous, like something bad could happen if we're not careful. Well, these are the kinds of crowds we're talking about. They are in mass. And so Jesus pu pushes off and he begins to teach about the kingdom of God. And if you understand a Jewish audience, one of the things that, that you wouldn't do is you wouldn't use God's name. And so oftentimes, because it was so holy, it was so reverent, so, so reverenced, you wouldn't actually use his name. And so we see this terminology being used, the kingdom of heaven. But in many ways, it's synonymous with you having a relationship with God. So a relationship with God is like this. And Jesus begins to show and, and demonstrate parable after parable after parable. And some of them are confusing. Some of them are challenging. Some of them will bring tears to your eyes. And he's doing all of this to help readjust how people value their relationship with God and what it looks like to pursue it. And so here's one of the parables and the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had. And he bought that field. Three things. You guys ready? If you are note takers, get out your phone. If you are pen and paper, now is your moment. You are going to feel so, you're just going to love this. For those of you who love notes. Three things to help you treasure Jesus consistently above everything else in your life. And then there's just a tiny passage here. We're going to stay in Matthew 13 almost the whole time. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, dot, dot, dot. We're going to get to the rest in just a second. There's something that happens when you put your faith in Jesus. You're described as a man who went out to a field and, and he found treasure. And yet something happens as you grow in your relationship with God that if you're not careful, all of a sudden this treasure that you once found and you were willing to give everything for, it just isn't quite as shiny as it once was. Some people talk about well, kind of just being bored in their faith. Or what happens is they get bored with their church. And so in America, what we do then is we go find a new church because surely the issue can't be me. It's got to be my church. So I need to find a new church that's got a couple more of this and a couple more of that. And all of a sudden, it, it feels fresh. And my relationship with Jesus feels alive again until it begins to wane again. And then you got to find a new church again right? And so here we are, a man goes out to a field. Now, if you were looking for treasure nowadays, where would you go look? Probably the bank, right? A safety deposit box, something that's locked up. Well, sometimes we forget that in Jesus' time here, several thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, well, banks didn't exist. And so when we read this passage, we oftentimes don't think about the fact that that treasure is there. Somebody hid that treasure on purpose. 
That treasure was hidden because the most normative place for a family or a person to hide their treasure was actually in their property. And they'd get this earthen vessel, and they would take whatever was most valuable to it. They wouldn't hide it in their home. They would hide it in the ground somewhere on their land. And so this young man, or this gentleman here, he's, he's out and about. And we don't exactly know what he's doing. But as the pastor of this church, I don't pretend to have ultimate authority on the scripture. But I'm going to tell you what I think is happening here. Because in all of Jesus' parables, we don't have this situation where a guy just blindly stumbles into a treasure or stumbles into relationship with God. We see God rewarding those who have a heart that is hungry to know him. And so I actually think this man was looking for something of value. I believe there was a hunger. I believe there was a humility in heart that had him out in that field in the first place. When I was a kid, whether you like this or not, or whether or not this is a good value to have, I was the kind of kid, I don't know why I did this, but when I would get out of the car, whether it was at, at the grocery store or whether it was at Ben Franklin or on my bike, I would always scour the ground for loose change. Did anybody do that when they were a kid? I was always looking for it, right? Just, you know, you never know. You never know when people used to use dollar bills when you were going to stumble on one because everybody used cash. And I remember one time finding a $20 bill and thinking I had just won the lottery. You know, I'm like 11 years old. And even now, here I am at 38, and I ask myself, why did, I, why did I find that $20 bill? I didn't will that $20 bill. I did not earn that $20 bill. But there is an amazing thing that happens when you, for instance, pray for healing, and then you begin to experience healing. Or if you're asking God to give you breakthrough, it's amazing that God gives breakthrough. But it, what's also amazing is that when people who never ask for healing get frustrated that they don't ever encounter healing. Well, why is it that we get frustrated that we don't? Don't encounter God in ways where we are never looking for him. And so here I am looking for money all the time and surprised. Guess what I would find from time to time? Money. And so here we have a man that I believe is actually doing what, what, what this gentleman, maybe he's working the field, but while he's working the field, he's looking. And his eyes are a little bit on a swivel. And he finds this treasure. And the, the, the point that I want to make to you is that we must search the fields on a regular basis. There are fields that God has in your life. And if you're like me, it's easy to become passive. It's easy to become uh, just almost lazy and apathetic in my faith. But you and I need to head back out to the fields on a regular basis and look for more of God's treasure. What happens for me, or when I see, I see people getting baptized and they come to faith. They're all in, and then a year from now, or six months from now, what happened? Two years from now, what happened? Three years, where did they go? And oftentimes, we, we lose this hunger inside of us to get out in the field and be looking for more of who God is and what God has to offer Jesus says that, ask that will be given to you, Matthew 7. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. He says, Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 2. My son, 
If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Is that not amazing? God, he doesn't, he doesn't have this one-time moment, which is oftentimes what we frame a relationship with God like. Like, I, I've, you know, I raised my hand in service, and I, I had this moment of prayer, and that is amazing. But a relationship with God where Jesus is treasured as preeminent above everything else means that you and I have to head out to the field on a regular basis, sometimes with a shovel in hand, and we're looking and our eyes are scanning, and we're constantly looking for more of who God is. Is, is there, are there not depths to God that you don't know yet? Is there not more victory that you can experience from God? Is there not more freedom that you can taste? Is there not more heights that you can soar with God Almighty? Of course there is. What does that mean? It means there, are, there is more treasure for you to lay hold of. I remember with my kids, I have four kids, and I have a five-year-old that still plays hide-and-seek like this. He's young. So let's go play hide-and-go-seek. <laughs> and this is somehow hiding, right? Like, I can literally see you right here, in case you didn't know. And he'll hide. And finding him is easy. It's a piece of cake. And even as I was preparing for this message, I felt the Holy Spirit even reminding of this. When, when you're new to faith, when your heart is just laid bare before him, and you don't really know God, but you're, you're knocking and you're asking and you're seeking, it's amazing how quickly God reveals himself to you. It's amazing how easy God is to find the treasure of God. It's right there. But I also find it interesting that as you grow and as you mature in your faith, God doesn't present himself to you in the same way that he did when you were brand new to faith. Why? Why does he do that? Why, why is your relationship with him, he, it's, it's like he requires more of you. And the answer is that he, in fact, absolutely does. And in the same way that my five-year-old will hide behind this and I can find him immediately. It's amazing as my children get older, my older son, well, what's he doing? He's hiding in the basement now. It's pitch black. It's dark. He's hiding in a corner, right? He's hiding in an armoire. And, and, and it requires more effort to find him. And when Jesus is talking, even in parables, what is it that he's doing? He is creating an environment where those who are really hungry for the treasure of God are going to have to come after him. Because sometimes it's confusing. And there are those who say they want to grow. There are those who say they want a relationship with God. But in reality, they don't really. And Jesus is speaking to them in parables because it's sifting those who are really willing to go out in the field and look for treasure and those who just say they are. And church, if you want to grow 
in your relationship with God and change this to this, you have to regularly head out to the field. You've got to put a shovel in your hands and your eyes need to look to and fro for the treasures of God. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, what did he do? He hid it. Why would you do that? Why would you hide that treasure? I'm going to tell you why, because it's valuable. (laughs) Anything that you have that is of value, you do whatever you can to protect it. And 2,000 years ago, the, the easiest, most sensible thing that you could do for that treasure is to hide it and come back for it. And I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll go out on a limb that for, for, for many people, we have this mountaintop moment where you encounter the treasures of God and he changes you and he breathes life into you and then you walk away and we forget to protect the very thing that God has done, worked, breathed, changed in our life. We don't protect it anymore. We become familiar with it. Literally in the next chapter, Jesus is going to go to his hometown and he will not be accepted there because people are so familiar with him. They just, that's just Jesus. That's the carpenter's boy. That's Joseph's boy. He's, he can't, no, he's not a prophet. What do you mean he's going to pray and heal people? No, 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 no. That's not accurate. I think you got the wrong guy. We grew up with that guy. See, what happens in your relationship with the Lord is, is it's really easy for that treasure to just be encountered and then you leave it just sitting on the grass. And I'm not talking about you sharing your faith with people. I'm not talking about whether or not you have a heart for evangelism. Of course we want to share what Jesus has done in our life with everyone. But this moment that I'm talking about, where Jesus has changed you, he's brought conviction to you. There are things that he's cut off in your life. And you're just, you're coming out of your shoes with excitement for loving God and pursuing him. And then this thing happens. You look at your friend, your life used to look like this, now it looks like this. And then you have this deep breath moment. And you look back over here. Maybe you got some friends that are still living over here, or another married couple living over here, or or whatever, and that's no, no judgment. But all of a sudden, there's a little voice that begins to chirp in your ear. Is it, did God really, like, did you really need to do that? Did, did the Holy Spirit really speak to you? Did you really need to cut that off? Did you really need to change your life? Did the Holy Spirit, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, after all, you're mature now. You should just be able to walk right back over here and just, you know, just, just be yourself. Be, you be you. And this treasure that was literally changing you from the ground up, we now begin to look at a little bit cross-eyed in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, we normalize who God is. We normalize what he has done. And the conviction that was so hot and so hearing, so searing over here, now it's just, 
it's really not that big a deal. I can do that. And we forget to protect what God has done in our hearts. And it's amazing, isn't it? You start out and you're going for God and you've given him everything. But it's amazing when we begin to compromise what the Holy Spirit has said to us. Isn't that amazing? You begin to walk back. You stick your toe over here and immediately that vibrant relationship just doesn't feel quite as vibrant anymore. Because we're quenching the Holy Spirit's fire in our life. We're snuffing it out. Obey the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God is doing. We must protect the treasure that we find. You've got to protect that stuff. When God does something powerful in your life, let him do something powerful in your life. And don't go back. We sing songs about it. God, I'm never going back. God, I'm changed. I'm never heading back. I'll never be that person again. Yet oftentimes we walk back to it, do we not? We've got to treasure what God has done. We've got to protect it. David says it like this. He says, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart. I might not sin against you. He's hidden it in his heart. What, what does that even mean? I mean? You can't take the Bible and literally like hide it under your shirt. You know what, what does it mean to hide the word of God in your heart? Like hiding treasure. I, you know, I, I remember having my firstborn son. I remember in Orlando, I remember strapping him after we were in the hospital for a few days. We strap him into the car seat. They're in the hotel, in the uh, hospital parking lot. It's amazing when, when you have your first little treasure that you're in charge of. And you're buckling them in. And I mean, you're making sure everything is absolutely perfect. You're pulling on the straps to make sure, you know, nothing possible, nothing could happen here. And then you get in the car and you're driving 30 miles under the speed limit, you know, and, you know, you're rolling the window down and giving the signs of which way you're turning, even though your blinker's going as well. I mean, you just take every precaution possible because you do not want to damage this little treasure that you have and given possession of. And so when we speak of hiding God's word in our heart, it means that I'm taking this word and I'm, I'm reading it and I'm letting it speak to me. It's giving me revelation about who God is and then I treasure that and I protect it. I'm not just going to go about my day. I'm not going to just let this pass. This, God, you have changed me. And I'm hanging on to this moment. I'm, I'm protecting this with everything I have. I'm going to dig a hole for a second. and I'm going to put it in here because it is valuable to me. I'm hiding it in my heart. I have never seen someone have an admirable relationship with Jesus. The kind of relationship with God where you look at it and, and you marvel. And you say, how do they know God like that? I've never seen 
that kind of relationship with God and that person not have a desire and hunger for more of God's word. I have never seen someone who has an incredible, vibrant relationship with God and not give a rip about reading the scriptures and putting them deep down into their soul. I've never seen it. You want to treasure Jesus above everything else. We need to take the treasure of who he is, who he's revealed to us in his word, and we need to protect it. It's okay to live a convicted life. We spend so much of our time talking about Christians growing in relevance and trying to fit in, and I have bad news for you. That as the, tr- as the world becomes more and more not Christ-like, you and I are going to have a more difficult time fitting in. And if your greatest treasure, so to speak, is being liked and fitting in and no one knowing that you're a Christian, well, you're going to have a difficult time having a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Because he hasn't called you and I to look like the rest of the world. And that's okay. You can be bold in that. Loving, kind, gracious, and protective of who God has changed you to be. Does that make sense this morning? Matthew 13, 44, in his joy, this man went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. I'll say this again, that the greatest decision you'll ever make is giving everything you have in exchange for the treasure of Jesus. You know what's, what's, what I love about this story is that the man, he didn't go and start counting up his checkbook or his, you know, he didn't start looking at his possessions and counting out, well, you know, is it really? It says it in his joy. Meaning, he saw this treasure and he immediately understood its value. And it was a joy for him to give up everything that he might have it. He gave up everything that he might acquire this field and have this treasure. And one of the things that struck me even reading this text is that I remember th- I remember when I was 13 years old giving up everything and getting baptized. But at 13, I didn't even really know what I was giving up. I was 13. I mean, I was a very wise 13-year-old. But let's be honest, I didn't understand the full magnitude of what it meant to really follow Christ. And so for us, we've got to be the kind of people that don't, we, we, we can't just make following Jesus a one-time moment and a one-time event. We have to be the kind of people who head out to the field, who look for treasure, who protect it, and then who are willing to sell everything all over again on a regular basis to acquire that treasure. You've got to do it all over again. 
See, for many of us, we have a moment in Jesus, but we're never called to have a moment in Jesus. We're called to have a lifetime of following Christ. And that means that at any given time, at any moment, whenever God moves, whenever God speaks, he gets everything and anything. And, and, and it doesn't matter what time. It doesn't matter what day. It is my great joy to give up everything to follow him, not just when I was 13, but at 14, at 15, at 16, at 30, at 35, and at 38. I get to give up everything consistently on a regular basis to repeatedly follow him. That's what I get to do. It's not just a one-time moment. You've got to head out to the field. You've got to have your eyes looking for that treasure. You've got to be protective of it, and then you've got to be willing to do it all over again. Sometimes in these moments, I like to be self-deprecating because sometimes people have such a, a view of pastors as if somehow you don't have a normal life with normal challenges or normal fears or normal anxieties, and you do. I am not above any of this. You and I are in the same boat as it pertains to the treasure of knowing Jesus. I can let this slide just as easily as you. But I will share a story where I got it right. A lot of times I share stories where I got it wrong. But I remember when my father passed away. And my dad was a, he was a financial advisor and planner. He was successful had his own practice and was in partnership with several other men. And we got through the funeral. My dad died at 51 of a heart attack. And there's so many things you don't know. So many decisions that you have to make. And I was a campus minister at the time. Which, (laughs) I wasn't making a whole lot. I'll be honest with you. I was single, not making a whole lot, but man, did I love what I was doing. And these financial planners that were in partnership with my dad after the funeral arrangements and everything settled down, we, we sat down and they, they looked at me and they said, we know you've got a degree in finance and investments. We would like to offer you the deal of a lifetime. We will keep all of your dad's clients as a book of clients and we will protect them for you. You just pass a couple of these tests and we will give your dad's entire book of business to you at about 22 years of age. Which would have been making about six digits as a 22-year-old. But I sat there, I thanked them, and I went home and I had to pray. Because my life, something had happened to me when I was in college. And I I wasn't the same person anymore. And I didn't want to just make decisions based on what sounded good or what looked good with my naked eye. I wanted to have spirit led, Jesus following, courageous, 
crazy decisions. And if God was asking me to sell everything to buy a field that I might walk and experience his treasure, I was willing to do it. So I remember going back to my house, 4601 Hickory Ridge View Court, St. Louis, Missouri. And just beginning to pray, God, what do you want me to do? This would be amazing. I could be the hometown hero. I could be making bank. God, what do you want me to do? And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, stay exactly where you are. I have not called you into this world. I've called you to preach the gospel. I've called you into church planning. I've called you into campus ministry. And can you give that up? Follow me over here. office with all these investors and I sat there looking all sharp I said thank you for the offer but I'm going to pass and they looked at me and they said have you lost your mind and I said yeah actually I think I have See, I've given up everything to follow Jesus and wherever he is taking me and wherever he's telling me to go, I go. No holds back, no holds barred. I didn't understand that. It was mystifying. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna say that when this man who found this treasure went home, I don't know if he was married. I don't know if he had kids. He probably had a friend somewhere on the planet. And when he began to acquire all of his possessions so that he could sell them to buy this field, I guarantee there was somebody who looked at him and thought, you have lost your mind. And you need to hear something today that as we treasure Christ above everything, we need to get used to having moments where we lose our minds following him, where, where the world thinks that you and I look like fools. It's okay. It's okay to follow God and to give Him everything on a regular basis. It's okay to head out to that field looking for more of God, to be hungry for more of God. It's a good thing for you to be protective of what God is doing and to live a hot, seared, on fire, convicted life after God. And it's okay to regularly sell it all, to follow Him every single day. I think that's what God's after. Father, we love you this morning. We're all in completely different places. Yet, walk through the doors of this church today because somewhere in our heart we're hungry for more. Lord, we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking today. 
meet us, Lord Jesus. If you're sitting here this morning and you know this is the kind of life that you're wanting to live, a life sold out for Jesus. you to pray this prayer and I want you to mean it. Say, Jesus, this morning I give you everything. Lord, I hold nothing back from you. You have my dreams. You have my lifestyle. You have my decisions. Lord, you have my fears. You have my worries. You have my anxieties. You have my heart, Lord. Today, again, I give you everything and I choose to follow you. Even as we're praying, I sense the Holy Spirit just speaking directly to some of you sitting here this morning. And you can, it's like you're fighting back the tears, they're just right there. Because you've been wondering, what, what is it that's going on? What, why don't I feel the way I used to feel? Where's the hunger that I used to have for God? And a lot of those things. I feel the Holy Spirit pulling some of the shame off and the guilt off of you this morning and reminding you of the true treasure that Jesus is. For some of you, it's like you had this treasure and you, you put it on the mantle for everyone to be able to see. But over time, it just got dusty and it just got dirty. And this morning, you're able to pull that thing off and you're able to, to, to give it a fresh shine. And, and you're not just going to put it on the mantle. You're going to begin to carry it around with you. You're protecting it. move in this place. We love you. Have your way today, God. In the name of Jesus, amen.